Today's scripture reading is John 12, 12 through 19. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Mary. Well, again, good morning, church. So glad that you're here with us. Let us pray uh, together uh, as we prepare to open God's word. Gracious Father, as we enter into this new year, we trust you, for you are good, and you are good to us, and you promise to never leave us. And so we enter this year with hope-filled expectation, not because we assume everything will be fine or easy or comfortable or safe. In fact, quite the opposite. Father, we know how broken our world is and how fragile we are. Even so, we trust you, for you are good, you are good to us, and you promise to never leave us. We pray for our nation, we pray for the broader world around us, we pray for our communities. Would you provide for the hurting and pursue the lost, and may we, your people, be your hands and feet. We pray for those we love, our families, our friends, bring healing to hurting relationships, and a deepened sense of relational joy, even as you draw us evermore to you. Would you be near to each one? We pray for our church, that, you, that we would love our neighbors and proclaim the good news of life and hope and forgiveness, that this would be a place where everyone feels your love and the love of one another. Holy Spirit, would you help us do this faithfully and with joy? We pray for our work, the places we seek to contribute to the world that you have made. Let us work diligently, not simply for income or success, but ultimately for you, Lord Jesus. Similarly, with our kids, as they reenter school, may they understand their callings. Would you protect them and continually whisper your love to them? Father, as we enter this year, let us serve you with joy. May we hear your voice afresh, and may we follow you with ever-deepening devotion. For we trust you. You are good. You're good to us. And you promise to never leave us. Help us to know that this is true. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you do right before a big day? Like the biggest of days. Like imagine yourself in a major life change, like something that's going to take a lot of resolve or courage. What do you do right before a big day? Kids, maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's like when you think about uh, the start of a school year, right? Or maybe, maybe school starting up again just in a few days. Maybe, like, what do, you, what do you do? Or maybe for others of us, it's the start of a new job or a move to a new city. What do you do before the start of a new day? Maybe you even feel it just as we enter this new year, right? 
In some ways, it's an arbitrary designation, right? It doesn't really, today's no different than any other day, right? And yet, we humans, we cannot help but mark the, the passing of time. It's just part of, part of who we are. And so, maybe, maybe you feel this sense of, uh, I don't know, either anticipation or anxiety. I think we kind of go back and forth, don't we? Some of us feel anticipation. We look to the new year and we're like, okay, what, what's going to happen, God? It's going to be, you see this like blank canvas before you and you're just ready to start painting, right? You have hopes, dreams, expectations, resolutions, all of that there. Others of us, we look at that blank, you know, canvas and we're like, oh my gosh, what is, what's it going to be, right? And do I, do I have what it takes? And so we come to this, maybe, maybe you feel that even as you enter the, the new year, like this, this feels like a big day, even though it's somewhat arbitrary. What do you do? right before a big day. But what, is, what does Jesus do? Because the scripture that we just heard read was one of the biggest days in Jesus' life, maybe the biggest up to this point. When Jesus got on that donkey and rode into Jerusalem, he was entering the final week of his life. There'd be, there would be no going back at this point. Like Getting on that donkey begins the, the, this chain of events that's going to lead inevitably to Jesus' death. And he, he knows it, right? He's going to ride in. The crowds are going to celebrate him as king, as they should, because he is our king, Hosanna. But the religious leaders are going to conspire against him. It's a big day for Jesus. And so what, is, what does he do right before a big day? He enjoys a leisurely dinner with some of his closest friends. If you haven't already, turn to John chapter 12. Now, some of you might be asking, is today Palm Sunday? I mean, how hard did we party last night? Uh, if, you're, if you're confused, like, why are we talking? It's like, it's January, we're talking about Jesus on a donkey, Palm Sunday, like, how close? Okay, you're right to feel that way, okay? That's, that's true. Today is not, I just want to go on the record, today is not Palm Sunday, okay? Uh, hopefully, hopefully you can figure that out. It's not, but that is part of our story today. So we are resuming our study in the Gospel of John. Uh, if you've been with us any length of time, uh, we started John actually uh, last January, the first Sunday of the year. Uh, we took a couple of breaks along the way. It's a long book, and so now we're jumping back in where we took off, where we stopped off in, in John chapter 12. And we're calling this, this portion of John, Behold Your King, for we see King Jesus powerfully on display in these final chapters of John. And what's so, what's so amazing to me about the Gospel of John, I mean, there's a lot that's amazing. I mean, first of all, John was like a close personal friend of Jesus, Right? So he actually, he saw the events that he's writing about, which is incredible. Just imagining what that must have been like for him. That's, that's amazing enough. But what also amazes me about John, John is, it's uh, 21 chapters. Uh, the first 11 chapters, uh, John tells us about the first three years of Jesus' public ministry. 11 chapters. And then he takes the last 10 chapters to walk through Jesus' final week. Like, think about that for a moment. It tells you, like, what is most important in this story to John, right? He slows down and takes all this time to walk through this final half of his book in the final week of Jesus' life. And it all begins right here with a donkey, some palm branches, the hosannas, King Jesus, right? It's a, it's a big day, a Sunday, the start of the most important week the world has ever known. And so what does Jesus do right before a big day? Well, go back with me at the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1, John tells us, Six days before the Passover, 
Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Which, by the way, I just love that. Like, it feels appropriate. Somebody raises you from the dead or raises someone you love from the dead. You should at least have them over for dinner, right? Just, it seems like common courtesy at that moment. He's like, what an incredible scene. And John tells us, it's very important to John for us to know the time frame of all these things, okay? So he tells us six days before Passover. And so this is Saturday, Saturday night most likely. Uh, Then the next day is Palm Sunday. A couple days later, you've got the Last Supper, right? And Passover, Thursday night. Then we have Good Friday and Easter Sunday. It's going to take... That's 18 weeks to get through all of that, by the way. So hope you're in, in for a while. There's a lot here that happens in Jesus' final week. But here, as this week begins, right, just before it starts, Jesus goes to the town of Bethany, just two miles outside of Jerusalem. Uh, once, once he enters Jerusalem, the clock starts. Um, it's, it's, the countdown begins. So I'm, I kind of imagine this as a leisurely dinner among friends. And he goes, John tells us, to the home of three disciples. Not, these aren't uh, part of the official 12 disciples. They're also there at this dinner. It seems like most likely, at least some of them are. Um, but but this, is, this is not them. But these three disciples, they play a significant role, especially in this story, because John tells this story to show us this is what an ideal follower of Jesus looks like, a true follower looks like. It's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And just to be clear, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is another Mary. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But you've got to go back a little bit further to understand the relationship that Jesus has with this family. So even if you go back to chapter 11, this is where Lazarus gets sick, Lazarus dies, and Lazarus gets raised from the dead. In chapter 11, chapter 11, verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Like, there's an intimacy in this relationship that Jesus has. He has a history with them. He loves them, but Lazarus does die in chapter 11. He doesn't just die. Like, he's been dead for four days by the time Jesus shows up. He's in the tomb. He's buried, right? It's, it's, already, it's already there. Mary and Martha, uh, they're at the tomb. They're absolutely grief-sticking. Jesus weeps as well when he shows up. I mean, it's clear. Again, it's clear. Jesus is very close with his family. And then Jesus at the tomb in chapter 11 calls out, Lazarus, come out, wake up, come join us, right? And Lazarus actually obeys this command, which is incredible, right? Dead four days, he comes out of the grave alive. So what do you do for the person who just raised you or someone you love from the dead? Like, just for a moment, like, try to imagine being there at this dinner party right? Like, put yourself in this, in this space, right? They're all there, right? The, the disciples, all these, these folks, like, picture having dinner with someone who was dead, like, basically yesterday, and now you're reclining at the table together, talking with Jesus. And so Martha in this scene, this is like classic Martha. Martha is serving. Martha is a doer. She can't help herself. This is her regular response to Jesus. She just wants to serve. And besides, like, her brother is back, and so, I, I mean, I picture, I picture her in that space just with joy in her eyes, like refilling Jesus' glass of wine, right? Bringing out trays of food, which should have been a funeral meal. It's like a pre-Easter celebration, right? Her brother was dead. 
It's a pretty, it's a pretty incredible party. Kids, what's the best party? Think about this for a moment. What's the best party you've ever been to? Like, even think about for a moment, like, what made it so great? We've probably all been to some of those that were just absolutely incredible. But in my opinion, as, as simple as this one is, nothing compares, right, to this party. Because there was somebody who was dead, who's now brought back into the family alive. Nothing would compare to that. Go back to chapter 12 then, verse, verse 2. This is how John describes it. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. And Lazarus is one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So Martha, she's ever-serving. Mary, she's the ever-attentive one, like eyes always on Jesus, right? She takes this perfume A few verses later, we find out that this perfume was worth around 300 denarii, which is about a year's wages for a basic laborer. A year's wages. So like today, maybe $30,000, $40,000, right? This is an incredibly extravagant gift. But like, again, her brother was dead, right? How much is the person you love most worth to you? Like, put yourself in that that situation. Like, if if this was Kelly, this was one of my kids... Dead and now alive, there's, there's nothing I wouldn't want to give to this person, right? There's, there's nothing they couldn't ask of me for giving that person back to me. There's nothing I wouldn't do. And it's, it's not just about her brother. As incredible as it is to have him back in the family, it's more than that, right? Because Jesus has just proved that he has the power over death. I mean, not even, not even the genie in Aladdin can bring somebody back from the dead. Not even the best characters of, of Harry Potter can pull this off, right? And this is actually true. This is real life. John saw it. These others saw it. Is anything more powerful than death? Only one thing. And his name is Jesus. And they're having dinner with him. And so there's this sense of of gratitude, certainly because their brother is back, but it's more than gratitude. It is awe at the one who can conquer death. I mean, this is is why the people worship him when when they're riding the donkey the next morning, right? John even tells us explicitly in verse 17, he says, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this, this sign. And so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Nothing can stop the one who can stop death. Which is, which is why the powers that be are so convinced at this point that they have to kill Jesus. Right? He's in their way. And so, so Mary's extravagance here, Jesus refers to it as an anointing for his burial. Preparation for what's ahead. Listen, I hate feet. Anybody else? Feet? They're just terrible parts of the body, aren't they? They're disgusting. They smell bad. I don't like my own. I don't like other people's. Like, like they, they just gross me out. So, like, like imagine, imagine, like, feet in a world without showers. Right? This is not a pleasant experience, people, right? But think about the intimacy of what Mary does. 
the tenderness of this scene. Look at this drawing from the artist Wayne Forte. I saw this online, and it just drew me in, right? This, you picture, like, this, like, this love, this, this, this devotion. And so there, there you are at this dinner. You're full. You're satisfied. You hear the crackle of the fire as the light slowly dims. You can't stop staring at Lazarus, right? Because you were at his funeral. And you look around, and all the tears have been replaced with laughter. You're, you're also completely unaware, and this is Saturday night, you're completely unaware that next Saturday, you're going to be together with these people again, but you're going to be in hiding. There'll be Jesus in the tomb a week from now. And so the, the one in this moment that you have all of your hopes, right, who is absolutely invincible, who you are, you're, he is your king, and you're going to follow him everywhere. One week later, you're going to be terrified and in hiding because he's going to be dead in the tomb, right? You don't know that yet. Right, but just imagine, just imagine what a week can do, right? Instead, here you are, you're caught up in this moment. When the, when the fragrance fills the entire room, John tells us, you can almost smell it, right? You, you watch as Mary caresses his feet with her hair. Her brother lives. I mean, if it were me, I'd be wiping away my own tears at the beauty of this scene, right? I mean, this, this feels like holy ground, doesn't it? And you just thank God that you're there to witness it. Which feels like the right response to a scene like this, doesn't it? And yet not everybody sees it that way. In fact, this this perfect moment is shattered by the one who is now your least favorite of the 12 disciples, right? Because Judas rebukes Mary for this act of generosity and love. Look at at verse 4. But Judas Iscariot... One of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it, he used to help himself to what was put into it. It's kind of a haunting foreshadowing of what's going to happen just a few days, right? Because John knows this as the one who's writing this stuff down. He's kind of reminding us where this this story is headed. Now, after this, Jesus immediately rebukes Judas for saying this, but the moment's gone, right? It's it's all sort of been lost in this moment. Like, this surreal environment in which you just experience all of this intimacy and beauty. It's gone. Judas was only interested in Jesus for what he could get out of him. And even, even in the very next scene, right, we see the religious leaders actually making a plot to kill both Jesus and Lazarus. I mean, think about that. Poor Lazarus. He's already been dead once, and now they want to kill him, right? Because, because Lazarus is now this breathing reminder of the power that Jesus has. And the religious leaders are only, only concerned about preserving their own power. And yet there you, there you have Martha... Mary, and Lazarus. And I think what John is trying to do here, he's trying to show us, like, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Because there's, there's a contrast of, of characters here, right? You've got, you've got Judas on the one hand, you've got the religious leaders over here, and then you have Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Those who see Jesus as king and respond accordingly. And those who, who don't. And so John wants us to ask, he does this all throughout his book, he wants us to ask as we look at these characters, which one are we? Like, who would we be 
in this story. So on the night before, a big day, right? King Jesus, he has dinner with friends. And as we enter into this new year, the anticipation, the anxiety, who will we be in this story in the year to come? Well, to get at that answer, let's ask ourselves three questions. Three, three questions. First, first, will we serve the king or will we serve our own need for control? Serve the king or our own need for control? Because the religious leaders, right, they, they are willing to murder Lazarus and Jesus to maintain their illusion of control. Like their own, they're so concerned about the, the life that they have, the comfort that they want, the power that they have, they're willing to murder for it. What are, what are we willing to do for our false sense of security? We love it, don't we? That illusion that everything's going to be okay. Like that we're, we're in control of our own destinies, that the, the, the world, we, we, we love to sort of pretend that we're there. And so what we often do I don't think I'm just speaking for myself. As we strive, we push, we overwork, we overschedule. We manipulate people. Even the people we love the most in the world. For what? A false sense of control. How's that working out? And yet, what, is, what does Martha do, by contrast? She just serves. Like, that's it. Like, she, she knows the one who has conquered death, who actually is in control. She trusts him enough to rule her universe. And it frees her to serve, both Jesus as well as the people around him. And just imagine if this is what we were known for, God's people, us. Imagine if this is what we were known for in 2023, not a hungry attempt at control, but a hunger simply to serve. That's the first question. Second, second, will we be devoted to the king or devoted to our own desires? Devoted to the king or to our own desires? Because Judas only cares about Judas in this story. He only wants Jesus for what he can get out of him. And I think if we're honest, for many of us, our desires rule our lives. But then we have Mary. Like Mary, who gives Jesus the most extravagant gift she can think of, and not just this perfume, as costly as it is, like her, her attention, her delight, her affection, her devotion. She's not asking for Jesus, any, anything from Jesus in that moment. She doesn't want something from him. She just wants him. It reminds me a bit of Pastor Nikki's sermon last week. If you missed it, you've got to go back and listen to it. It's really, really good. Uh, basically, that, that all God wants for Christmas is our praise, right? That's what he wants. Um, and then we, get to, we get to join in the choir of all of creation to do this. And so, you know, this picture in Psalm 148 that we looked at last week of, 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 of this, the stars are singing and the mountains and the redwoods, and yet the thing that's most precious to God is our praise. In, the, in light of everything else that's praising him, it's, it's us, right? It's our devotion, and so what does, that, what does that mean for us? Well, there's a lot of things that could mean. At the very least, it means our time and attention, doesn't it? It means carving out time and attention. This is a day when many of us, you know, we, we carve out some, some New Year's resolutions or whatever. Maybe one of yours is to attend church more. You can check it off the list, right? You did it today. Good, good job. We'll see you in February. Um, yeah, a little cynical. Uh, but no, you're, you're here. We're glad that you're here, right? And so it's time and attention. It's carving out those, those resolutions. And maybe it's, maybe it's simply saying, okay, we, we want to... I'm going to pray more this year. I'm going to 
five minutes a day or read my Bible more often. Uh, if you need help with that, we've, we've got what we call the formed life. You can pick up one of these journals. This goes along with our series in John. Uh, you can also sign up for it online if that's better for you. If you need a way to engage in this, this is just, these are daily uh, rhythms of devotion, basically, uh, to help us engage more fully in the life that God has for us. Because Jesus wants our devotion. Finally, then, final question. Will we recline with the king or will we stay in the tomb? Recline with the king or stay in the tomb? Because we've looked at, at the examples of Mary and Martha, but then like Lazarus, he's just, he's just reclining there with Jesus. Like what is, he, what is he doing? But think about where he's been. In the, previous, in the previous story, Lazarus obeys the most incredible command, doesn't he? Lazarus, come out. And he obeys. He's been dead for four days. Like, think about the, the commands that I have, you know, that we have struggled to o- obey God in, right? It's like, they're all easier than this. Come out of the grave. Lazarus obeys. And this is a command that I hope to one day obey. Because that is his plan for all of us who trust him, who follow him, who know him, to one day stand at our grave or our tomb or our ashes or whatever and say, come, follow me. And I want to hear his voice. I want to come up out of that grave alive, and I want to go have dinner with him. The answer to that question is one that we have to answer now, not then. The question of will, will we trust this king or not? Will we give our lives to him even now? Will we obey him even when we don't want to? Will we walk out of the grave alive? Today is a big day, a new year. And so what's, what's your plan? It's a new opportunity, as is every day, for us to respond to him. Will you recline with the king or will you stay in your tomb? Because, friends, this is, this is why Jesus came. And as we slow down these next few months to look at these, this last week of Jesus' life, we'll see this time and time again. This is why he willingly gets on that donkey that leads to his death. To be our king. To be our rescuer. To be our hope. To be our life. To be our joy. To be everything to us. And so even, even as we come now to his table, which is just a few days from this story, Right? Let us once again hear his voice calling us, come out. Let us hear and respond, and respond, bringing him our service and our devotion.